Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. Good morning, church. Good to see you on this beautiful Sunday morning. If you're visiting with us today, we thank you for joining us. We're so glad that you've come to worship the Lord with us. And uh, if you're joining us online, we welcome you into the services this morning, and we're glad that you're here. I'm going to talk just for a moment so they can get that right, because it seems to be bouncing a little bit. Getting there, right? Sounds good. We're going to continue this morning our series um, on the family. We began that just last week, and so it's fresh, and uh, it's a new series for us. And uh, I want it to be a blessing to you. I hope it's helpful to us as a church. Uh, asked this question last week, and I want to ask it again this morning, um, and we'll go from there. So wh- what does the family, what does the family mean to you? When you speak about the family, when you see that word family, what does family mean to you? I think this, I think for some folks, it means everything, right? How many of us would say, man, family is everything? You know, we kind of illustrated last week that, you know, outside of our faith, our faith is important to us. That's the foundation of our life, right? But outside of our faith, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, our faith in, 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 in the Scriptures, our faith in God, uh, family is everything. Family is everything. Uh, uh, I know for others, when you speak about family, it kind of conjures up, uh, maybe stirs up some, some difficult emotions, some difficult memories. I get it. You know, I understand that. But how about out in the American world? Did you ever think about that? You know, uh, one of our deacons here, Brother Fenton, is teaching the class, a uh, Connect class. I think the title of it is uh, Family Works or How Family Works or something. It's a, it's a class on the family. And I know he's, he's been reading a lot of statistics about the family and the demise of the American family. And so what, what, about, what about the family in the American world? You know, all statistics point to a decline in the American family. You're aware of that, right? And you know, I don't think we need statistics to tell us that. All we have to do is look around, you know, just watch the news, see what's happening in our society. It's alarming, isn't it, you know? But, but what I did this past week, I just ripped some of the current headlines uh, out from the, the news uh, media on the family, and I want to share them with you this morning, just, just for a few minutes, okay? I want you to see this. I want to lay a foundation for us. Uh, look at some of these headlines. Guys, you with me? L- look, look at this one. Can, can you see that okay? Americans are retreating from marriage. You say, well, what, what, does that, what does that mean? Well, let me just maybe, maybe, maybe give you a little insight. Um, in the last 50 years, the marriage rate has fallen by 60%. You know what that means? That means less and less Americans are getting married, right? Uh, it's gone down. It's gone from, in 1970, the rate of Americans getting married was 76%. And today, 
in 2023, this is actually 2021, it's 31%. That's a pretty big decline. Huh? So less and less people, less and less people are getting married. Uh, here's another one. Look at this one here. Debt, low wages, uncertain employment have become barriers to marriage, right? And so you say, well, why is, why is the, you know, the rate of marriages, you know, declining? 60%, that, that's, that's a big number. Why? Well, some would say because of debt, low wages, uncertain unemployment, um, and they become barriers to marriage. Here's another riff from the headlines. Look at this one. Cohabitation. Now common. Right? Do I need to explain cohabitation? Huh? When I was, when I was young coming up, they'd say, shacking up. <laughs> that just dated me, didn't it? Uh, <laughs> cohabitation. Now common. Now, look at that, is less likely to be a pathway to marriage for lower-income Americans. I would take out, I would take out, I would take out the lower-income Americans. I didn't put it there, but I would take it out because cohabitation, uh, man and woman living together is no longer a pathway to them getting married, right? That's, that's, I didn't make these up. I just, I just ripped them from the headlines. Uh, here's another one. Look at this one. More children are being born to unmarried parents, particularly cohabiting couples, right? So they don't, want to make, they don't want to make a commitment to marry each other, but they're having children together. Say this with me. Go figure. Say it. Go figure. I don't know. Uh, here's another one. Look at this one. Uh, divorce rates remain high despite declines. So even though less people are getting married, right? People, more, people are, more people are getting divorced. Less people are getting married, and those that are married, more of them are getting divorced. Wow. I remember when I first started pastoring uh, a few years ago, the divorce rate was at 50%. I've been pastoring for 35 years now. Uh, it jumped. It jumped to 65%. So 50%, what is 50%? That's half. <laughs> Somebody said half. Man, you're so sharp. Who said that? You're so sharp. That's one out of two. So for every two people get married, every two couples get married, one of them divorces, one out of two, right? And then it jumped, it jumped to 65%. You know what 65% is? Somebody say 65%. It's two out of three. Two out of three. Now it's back down to 50%. However, even though less people are getting married, more people are getting divorced. So divorces, divorces remains high and on the incline. Hey, here's another one. More parents have children with multiple partners. Did you see that? Huh? I'm, I'm, talking, about, I'm talking about the family out in the American world, you know? Uh, and then here, here's, here's the final one. A large share of children experience complex living arrangements, right? Uh, I remember running the bus ministry and and many times, you know, dealing with the kids, uh, most of them, a lot of the kids we picked up on our bus routes from inner cities, living, being raised by grandparents or aunts and uncles or by one parent per weekend. That's complex. And so when you look out into, in, into society and you're wondering why we're in the condition we're in, you just look at the family unit. 
And it's been labeled for us. And I, I highlighted the label last week. Go and flip it, fellas. It's dysfunctional. Say it with me, dysfunctional. Right? What, is that, what does that denote? Well, it's not that the family's not functioning. It's just that the family's not functioning properly. Because dysfunctional speaks about abnormality. Right? It means, it means improper. It means unhealthy behavior. And so the family today in the American world, in the world, is dysfunctional. It's just not functioning properly. It's not functioning as it should function. And I think those statistics just prove that, right? And we could get gory with some of those statistics, but they're just some of the, some of the more mild ones that I thought I ripped from the headlines. However, what I said last week was this, and I want to I pick it up again this week. Uh, dysfunction, dysfunctional relationships and dysfunctional families is not a contemporary problem. It didn't start in the 90s. Families did not start uh, having these, these, uh, these problems in the 90s or e even in the 80s or even in the 70s or the 60s. No, we can go way back. We can go way back in Scripture and see dysfunctional relationships and dysfunctional families. I gave a list of them last week, remember? We began with the very first, the very first family of history, which would have been Adam and Eve. And if you did a case study on Adam and Eve, you know what you'd find from Scripture? Thank you. <laughs> they were dysfunctional, right? Uh, it, was, it, was an it was an unhealthy family. You say, well, now why would you say that? Somebody asked me, why would you say that? I read, their, I read their case study, right? And, and it starts with, now pay attention right here, because this is going to build into the, into the study this morning. It starts with Eve, who was the wife, the mother, right? You know what she did at one point in time? She, she kind of, she listen, I hope you understand this, this terminology. She stepped out of her lane. Everybody has a lane, right? How many of us agree we believe that, that God created everything that is? And when he created everything that is, he created it with order, right? God-ordained order, and when we, when we just stay in that proper order, things work out well, right? When we get out of order, ugh, things get messy, correct? And so Eve steps out of lane, and she begins to have conversation with Lucifer, right? The serpent, the devil. You know, she's having a conversation with him, and, and he, he got her all messed up. Now, she's all, are you with me? Uh, when, when Adam's confronted with it, when God, you know, confronts Adam and says, man alive, that's exactly what God said. God said to Adam, man alive, what did you do? You know what Adam did, right? He threw his wife under the bus. He blamed her. In fact, he really blamed God because he said to God, it was the woman you gave me. Hello? Right? And then, and then they have a couple of kids, and right? I mean, Cain and Abel, you know what happened there, right? So that, that's, I don't know how you would read this, Donald, but that, that doesn't seem to be a healthy family. You got issues. That's the first family in history. So you say, well, it's got, it had to get better from there, right? You look at Noah's family. I'm taking the prominent families we read them in the Bible. Noah's family had issues. How about Abraham? Abraham and his family had issues, you know, and you just keep, you know, keep going on and on, and you come to David, King David. That dude had issues. His son Solomon, he had issues, right? 
And so dysfunctional is not a word that, you know, I, I think we just maybe coined it in, in the contemporary world, but dysfunctional families goes way back to the very first family in history. And I think a great case study for us to examine is the, is the family unit of Isaac. We started last week, remember, if you were here? We looked at Isaac, his wife, Rebecca, and their two sons, Jacob and Esau. I was afraid you were going to say Robbie and Eddie. I wasn't sure where you were going to go with that. Jacob and Esau, right? And, and when you look at that family, you, you begin to see that they, they had some issues. They had some problems. In fact, in fact, it began at the birth, it, right at the birth of those twins. You know, Jacob and Esau were twins, right? And when you read through the scriptures, you, you read about their birth over in Genesis chapter number 25, uh, you begin to read how when they were coming out, the, the firstborn was Esau, the secondborn was Jacob, and on the way out, you know what Jacob did? He grabbed the hold of the heel of his brother, you know? And, and, and I, I think the problems, the dysfunction began right then and there, you know? And as you turn to Genesis 27, would you turn there with me? What we find is that these boys now have grown up. They're no longer babies. They're no longer teenagers. They're, they're grown-up men. And here in Genesis chapter number 27, uh, Isaac, the patriarch Isaac, is old. The Bible says in verse number 1 that he, and he's saying this about himself, that he's old, his eyes are dim, he's having a hard time seeing. And what he does in verse number 1 is he calls for his eldest son Esau. Do you see it? Genesis 27, verse number 1. And he says to his son Esau, his son Esau was a hunter. And so he says to his son Esau here in verse number 3, uh, I want you to go out and I want you to get me some venison and then I want you to fix it the way I like it. Make it savory, you know. And I'm, Maybe he's talking, make, make me a stew. And he says, I'm going to eat it and then I'm going to bless you. Right? Do you see that? And so what does Esau do? Well, Esau goes out and he does what his father told him to do. Now, what we may not see here, and I'm just kind of rehearsing from last week, what we may not see here in verse number 1 is there, there's a problem. Verse 1, 2, and 3, verse 4, there's a problem. And the problem is this. The problem is Isaac is not following the Lord's leadership here. Because when these boys were born, to pay attention right here, when these boys were born, I'll tell you what took place. Uh, God gave instruction to, and I, say, I know it says, it says to Rebekah, uh, but God gave instruction to Isaac and to, uh, 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 to Rebekah that the, the, the elder will serve the younger. In other words, what God was saying is this, uh, when it comes to uh, being the next heir to the throne, it's going to be Jacob and not Esau. Now, that's not the way it worked in Bible times. The firstborn was where the blessing would be placed upon, but God said not in this case. Now, somebody asked me this week, they said, well, preacher, the Bible says, oh, fellas, would you flip that Bible verse up, uh, the next one? There you go. Uh, look, look at this text. And the Lord said unto her, two nations shall be in thy womb, right? And so somebody said, well, pastor, maybe, what, could it be possible, is it possible that Isaac didn't know what God had told his wife? And my response to that is, no, I don't believe that. 
And here's the reason why. God doesn't break his own order, right? God always, God always follows the order he established. Are you with me? And God believes in headship, headship. So guess who the head of the family was? Isaac. And so even though it says in this verse of Scripture that the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb, I'm almost positive Isaac knew about that. Are you with me? I'm sure he told uh, Isaac first, the Lord told Isaac first, and then just because maybe mm, uh, Rebecca needed to know from God, God told her personally. Amen. Are you with me? Huh? I'll never forget this, just to prove the point. When God, when the very first time God moved me into a leadership position, and we have a number of men here serving as deacons, when my pastor called me into his office one day and, and, and asked me if I would consider praying about serving as a deacon in the church, I thought to myself, wow, what a privilege. I said, I'll pray about that. And all the way home, I thought this, how in the world am I going to share this with my wife? Because my wife knows me better than my pastor, right? And I know what, I know what my wife's going to say. She's going to say, but, and I mean, the and just, you know, roll the list down. She's going to all these reasons as to why if the pastor knew this, he would have never asked you to serve as a deacon. And so I, I'm fearing all the way home, and I got home, and, you know, I was small talking and just kind of putzing around. And I said, hey, guess what happened today? I said, the pastor asked me, and you know what my wife said to me? She hears exactly what she said to me. What did you say to me? I know. And I said, so we called you? She said, no. I know. I said, well, it would have been nice if you had told me before I went in to see him. <laughs> I know. Well, how did she know? Because the Lord prepared her heart. Are you with me? And so I don't believe, not for a moment, that God spoke to Rebecca without first speaking to Isaac. Amen. So Isaac knew, now pay attention right here, Isaac knew that God had chosen the younger son to be the heir and the older son to serve him, and yet in verse number one, verse number two, three, and verse number four, he says that my soul may bless thee before I die. And here's a point that I brought up last week, and please get this so I can move on. I believe here in this, at least in this moment, Isaac is being rebellious. He's being rebellious. Flip it back, guys. He's being rebellious. Uh, he's a rebellious father. Why? Because he knew the program of God. He knew that God wanted the elder to serve the younger. He knew that he wanted the blessing to go upon the younger, and yet Isaac is going to do, pay attention right here, Isaac is going to do what Isaac wants to do. He's rebellious. Huh? And, and here's something about a rebellious person. A rebellious person is consumed with himself. You hear how quiet it is in here right now? A rebellious person is consumed with themselves. Huh? They want what they want, and they want it now, right? And, and what, what we don't realize is this, as a rebellious person, look here, rebellious people lose focus. They lose focus of the mess they're caught up in. Somebody say, that, that's good. <laughs> huh? 
I mean to tell you, if you, are, if you are out of your lane, if you're rebelling against God, if you're not following suit, if you are consumed by yourself, you are caught up in a mess. You just don't realize it. Huh? And to add insult to injury, a rebellious person loses focus of how they've caused a mess for others. Because all of us, every person, everybody is connected to somebody. We're not an island, right? And so when you're caught up, when you're consumed by yourself and you're not following suit and you're caught up in this mess, you don't realize now that you're causing a mess for others. I want to show it to you. I'm going to show you in this text of Scripture. And you know what else? I think maybe the, uh, the icing on the cake, the ultimate, is a rebellious person doesn't realize they've lost focus of their ultimate accountability to God. Ultimately, Isaac was accountable to God here. Are you with me? Huh? And so, uh, the story begins, and you see immediately headship. Here's the father of the family, Isaac, and he's, he's out of step with God. Can I say this? Would you listen to this? Things aren't going to go well from here on out when daddy is out of step with God. Hmm. When daddy knows the Lord and daddy is not following the Lord, when daddy has been given the role of headship and daddy is not taking the lead, are you listening real good? Well, look what happens here. Remember I said how our... Our mess affects other people. Look at verse number five. And Rebecca heard when Isaac spake. Right? So now Rebecca hears what's going on. What does she hear? Well, Rebecca hears Isaac saying to Esau, You need to go and fix me some stew. And when you come back, I'm going to eat it and then I'm going to bless you. And Rebecca's saying, But wait a second. Wait a minute. God said, are you listening real good? God said the elder is going to serve the younger. God said the blessing is supposed to go upon the younger. So you know what Rebecca says? I got to fix this problem. How many times has mama tried to fix it? Huh? Don't get quiet because it incriminates you when you do. That's the best time to laugh and say, you're right, preacher. Yeah. Huh? Mama's going to try to fix it now. Huh? And so guess what Mama does? Pay attention right here. Mama steps out of her lane. Right? This is a three-lane highway. It was single lane. God, Father, but now it's a three-lane highway. Everybody's out of their lane. And now Mama is going to concoct a plan to deceive her husband. Right? And so guess what she does? Guess what? Here, here's, here's Isaac. You know, he's rebelling against God. And here's Rebecca, who's rebelling against Isaac. And now they bring the kids into it. Remember I said a little bit ago how we lose focus on how our mess affects other people. And now we create a mess in other people's lives. I've been around long enough. I've lived long enough. I've been pastoring long enough to see that work. I see how that plays out, where somebody gets out of step with the Lord, somebody gets out of, out of whack a little bit, and now their rebellion, their problem has become everybody else's problem. Whether it's at home or in the church, in a small group, at work, 
All it takes is one person getting out of step. Before long, it just creates this domino effect. So here's Mama, and Mama pulls in the son, Jacob, and she says to Jacob, here's what we need to do. And I love this. Look at verse number 8. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Do you see that? According to that which I command thee. If that kid had any sense in his head, he would have said, did you check with Dad about this? Huh? Have your kids ever played the Holy Spirit in your life? I have, I have some grandkids, you know. I love those little buggers, but every once in a while they play the Holy Spirit. And you know what I say to them? Shut up. <laughs> Mind your business, boy. Uh, Pop, should we be listening to that on the radio? Shut up. Huh? They play the Holy Spirit, you know. And so, but Jacob should have said, he should have said, Mom, wait a second. Man, do you, do you, did you check with Dad? But you know what Jacob said? Jacob said this, what, he finds, what if he finds out? He's worried about getting caught. He's not worrying about the fact this is foundationally wrong. Hello? What if I get caught? What if Dad finds out? Do you see the mess? Do you see this mess? Huh? And this is played out over and over and over in life, you know? And we need to be careful of that. So what happens here? Well, this, the story goes on. You have a father who's rebelling against God. You have a mother who's working to deceive her husband. And you have children being pulled, pulled into this mess. I'll be honest with you. This family qualifies for a therapist. Right? Sign them up. Put them on my schedule. Carrie, when they call, sign them up. I need to counsel with this family. Well, the story continues. Here's what happens. Jump over, if you would, to verse number 30. It came to pass. Don't you love those words, came to pass? You always hear those words in the story. It came to pass as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob, and Jacob was yet scarce. So they follow through with the plot, right? Did you ever read the story? Huh? If you never read the story, these two boys were so different. They were polar opposites. Esau was an outdoorsman. The Bible calls him a hairy man, you know, had hairy arms, probably had a beard, hairy neck. Uh, if you open up his chest, full of hair, like he had a sweater on. Hairy dude. And Jacob, on the other hand, was fair, you know. Uh, he probably liked being in the kitchen with his mom. I, Esau was out in the field hunting and fishing and all that kind of fun stuff, you know, riding his dirt bike and four-wheeler and polar opposites. So, in order for uh, Rebecca to deceive Isaac, you know what she does? She, man, I mean to tell you, she thought this thing through. She creates a costume, an outfit for this boy, you know, and, and, and puts some hair on his hands and hair on his neck and, and, and puts Esau's clothing on him, which smelled like the outdoors rather than cinnamon. It smelled like deer. Are you with me? And she sends, she sends Jacob in, and Jacob, you know, says, boy, it's the voice of, it's the voice of Jacob, but let me, and he's touching and he's smelling, it smells like, and what does he do? He falls for it. He eats the, the stew, he eats the, and he casts the blessing upon Jacob. Huh? He thinks everything's good. You know, he blessed his son, had some stew. Man, I can just go off and die now in peace. <laughs> well, guess what happens? The plot's revealed. Esau comes back in from hunting. 
He's got the venison. He makes his father's favorite dish. He brings it into his father. Verse number 30 came to pass as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing uh, Jacob. And Jacob was uh, gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. And he also made savory meat, brought unto his father, and said unto his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's venison, that thy soul may bless me. Look at verse 32. And Isaac, his father, said unto him, Say what? <laughs> what? Who art thou? And he said, I'm thy son, thy firstborn Esau. And Isaac, trembling, very exceedingly said, Who? He knew he'd been had. He said, he said, where is he that hath taken venison and brought it to me? And I have eaten uh, of all of it before thou came, and bless him, yea, and he shall be blessed. Do you see how this works? Huh? So now, uh, pay attention. Uh, flip the, flip that, that slide, if you would. Look at the first few words there. And Isaac trembled. He trembled exceedingly. Huh? What does Esau do? Look at the next verse, verse 34. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried. He cried with a great exceeding bitter cry and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But if you know anything about ancient customs and if you know how God works, there, there's only one blessing to be had. And he cast the blessing upon the younger, Jacob. Are you with me? Did you ever hear this? Did you ever hear this statement? Be careful, you might just get what you want. Huh? Did you ever hear that before? And isn't it always, oh, isn't it always, don't we always say it kind of like in a, in a negative way? Hey, be careful, you might just get what you want. God might just give you what you want. Huh? Well, they got what they wanted, but it came with a high price. It came with a high price. Came with a high price. Uh, when you read on in the story and the plot's revealed, there's a few things that just stands out. First of all, Isaac begins to tremble. Esau begins to cry. Jacob begins to run for his life. And Rebekah is left alone. Huh? This family's coming apart. This family's coming apart. This family is in a mess. This family is dysfunctional, right? And it's all because, it's all because everybody just started to get out of line. Everybody, you know, departed from their role. Everybody got out of their lane, so to speak. I want to make a practical point here. And I know it's not a positive one or a uh, popular one, I should say. But listen to this. The Bible says, they that wait upon the Lord... It doesn't say, it doesn't say uh, they that wait upon the Lord, and that's easy to do, because it's not easy to do. They that wait upon the Lord. It's not easy to wait upon the Lord. Are you with me? It's not easy to wait. Young man, it's not easy to wait for God to, uh, you know, bring that right girl into your life. Young lady, it's not easy for God, for you to wait for God to bring that, that right man into your life. Nah, mom and dad, it's not easy for you to make the best choices. It's not easy to wait for God to move in somebody's, you want what you want, you want it now, I get it. But when we don't wait on the Lord, the alternative gets messy. Because then we take things into our own hands. One of my life verses, you have a life verse? 
One of my life verses I try to remind myself of it often is Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. You know it. It says this, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Here's the thing. Look, he'll direct thy paths if you'll acknowledge him. In all thy ways acknowledge him. Well, how do I do that? By trusting in the Lord with all my heart and leaning not to my own manipulative way. Hello? I like to get things done, and so there's times, even today, as a mature man or a maturing man, as a ministry man, as a man of God, so to speak, as a husband, as a father, there are times when I want what I want, I want it now, and I'll say, okay, how can we get this done? And I lean, are you with me? I lean, and every once in a while, Holy Spirit of God will say, are you sure you want to go there? And there are times I say, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I want that new this. I want that new that. I want to go to that. I want to do this. And I don't want to wait. Are you with me? But here's what I found out. I've lived long enough to know this. When I get myself into that state, things get messy. When I just trust God, wait on God, it always works out best when I just stay in that place. Think about this. Think about Jacob. He leaves his family empty. He's empty. Uh, if you read the story, he left with nothing. No property, no wealth, nothing to show for his deceit, nothing at all. Uh, his brother, his brother now hates him. Did you read the story? We'll read through this a little bit next time. His brother hates him. He deceived his father. He's no longer under the apron of his mother. She had to send him away. He finally got what he wanted. It was going to be his anyway. If he'd have just waited on the Lord, if he'd have just trusted God, if daddy would have just said, hey, Esau, uh, go fix me some meat. I'm hungry. If mom would have just said, I better go in there and remind Isaac of what the Lord said. If Jacob may have just said, mom, have you talked to dad about this? I mean, to tell you, look, there were a couple of stop moments that could have changed everything. But when one person gets into a mess, it usually creates a mess for others. Huh? Remember that, that scenario in James chapter number 1 where it talks about, you know, the, the, the demise of, of an individual where they, are, where they are tempted and they begin to lust, and then lust, you know, causes us to sin, and when sin is finished, it brings forth death. You know where it began? It didn't start a temptation. It didn't start at lust. It didn't start at sin. No, it started with attraction. When something got our attention, right, when we are lured away, we had the opportunity to just pause and say, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. But sometimes it just gets away from us. Have you ever seen it play out in life when somebody begins to plot, plan, and manipulate to get their way? Did you ever see that play out? Huh? Did you ever see it play out? In the end, total mess of things. I'd say I can give you story after story after story, and not just stories 
from the Bible or stories from somebody else's life, but stories in our own lives where we plot and plan and manipulate to get our way. And it just turns into a real mess. Are you with me, church? Dysfunctional, you know? Sometimes that happens on different levels. Sometimes it's family life. Sometimes it's church life. Sometimes it's social life. Sometimes it's a business life. We need to be really careful. We need to watch our step. Let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to maybe pray a different prayer. Instead of praying, my will be done, maybe we ought to pray, thy will be done. Thy will be done. It may take longer, <laughs> but in the end, you'll be blessed, and you'll eliminate the mess from your life. Huh? My will be done. Last week, I finished up by giving you a hashtag. Remember the hashtag? Gave you, gave you a hashtag. Hashtag trust, wait, listen, obey. Think about it for a second. Isn't that, isn't that where salvation comes in? Huh? Where we begin to listen, and then, and then we begin to trust, and then we begin to obey. It all begins when you and I begin to listen to the Lord in our lives. And I'll tell you something, if you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, He's got a perfect plan for your life. Your personal life, your family life, your children's lives. He's got a perfect plan. Best thing we can do is listen and then trust Him and wait on Him. Let Him work it out. And if you're here this morning and you've yet to accept Christ as your personal Savior, and you're not sure that heaven is your home, that when you should pass from this earth, you're going to go to, he's got a perfect plan. It's called the plan of salvation. And all you need to do is listen and then trust. Listen to the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross and took your place, paid for your sin. He died your death, was buried in your tomb, and now he's alive, and he wants to offer you his life. What an exchange. You give me your sin, you give me your life, I give you my life, my righteousness. And when you do that, the Bible says your name is written down in this book. It's the Lamb's Book of Life, and you have assurance of salvation. You know for sure that when you pass on, you can go to heaven. Boy, that means, that means everything. That's where it begins. Do you know Christ is your personal Savior? Dysfunction occurs in family life, church life, and personal life, doesn't it? It just seems that we get out of sorts and we're living life unhealthy. We can change that by just submitting ourselves to the Lord. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.